trying to work out where to stand because I feel like we're in widescreen mode. Just trying to get my eyes everywhere. It's not because people are wide, Stuart. Don't be mean. Um, we started a few weeks ago on this series that we're in at the moment on, on the, understanding the good news of the gospel. And, um, and I made comment that one of the reasons why I wanted to go back and look at it again because, you know, um, I often come across people who, um, who are somewhat confused about the gospel, about how, just how great the good news of the gospel really, really is. And that's what religion does, just puts people into a box, it gets them to perform. And um, as a result, I started doing some writing. I told you about that. I've been writing these little books. So there's a bunch of these I'm putting out. We're going to put them up on the website soon. Um, Just to help bring some clarity. But I was thinking about it yesterday as to what... One of the things that prompted me really on, on almost like a quest on finding out truth that would set people free was because of something that happened to me when I was about 31 years of age, 31, 32. And um, I, got, I got saved when I was quite young. I was about seven or eight. But I didn't, get, I didn't make a decision because of the goodness of God. I didn't make a decision because I understood that Jesus died for me. I put my hand up in a little Sunday school class because I had, uh, uh, how can I explain it? There was an evangelist, a visiting evangelist who came along and he just spoke of hell. Didn't talk about the goodness of God, didn't talk about Jesus, just spoke about the horrors of hell and that the only way you could get out of hell was to say yes to Jesus, but there was no explanation of what you were saying yes to. It was just get out of. And so I made a decision out of fear, just purely based on fear. Got to get out of hell because that's not where you want to go. You want to go to heaven. You don't want to go to hell. And probably wasn't until I was about, I think, 13 or 14 and I got filled with the Holy Spirit and, um, and something, I, I suddenly had this revelation of what sin was and how lost I actually was and how I needed Jesus. And so at that moment, I had this revelation of really of who Jesus is and what his sacrifice meant. And yet, at the same time, when I, when, when that, when I had that encounter and that experience... It didn't, it's not, God didn't come along and say, well, now you're saved. It didn't discount that decision I'd made all those years before. In fact, when I was really young, something dramatic happened to me when I made that decision. I, I, I started having these encounters with God's love. And I couldn't explain. I didn't know, I didn't even, rec- didn't even know it was God's love. But I would find myself as a kid just crying overwhelmed with some kind of feeling that wasn't, that was kind of joy. And I've discovered later that was God doing something in my life right from an early age, but I didn't have an understanding of being saved until I was a bit older. 
But then when I was about 32, I was, um, I was at home recovering from an operation. I think I've told this before. And uh, really, I was in the depths of despair. I, I was what they used to call having a nervous breakdown. And I was just clinically depressed and just really struggling, was, began to become suicidal. And then I had an encounter, a revelation with the love of God, of how much God really loved me despite anything. Now, what had been happening up until that time, I was, a, I was a believer, I was a Christian, and I was involved in and out of church stuff all those times, all those years. But I was up and down in terms of being confident, one, that God loved me, and two, that I was really saved. All that... I believed I was saved. I just didn't believe I was well saved. <laughs> Some of you are laughing because you know exactly what I'm saying. You know, you go through those moments where you just doubt. You're not sure. You know, I, I'm saved, but, I'm, but is God happy with where I'm at? And so as soon as you start to doubt God's love and acceptance for you, the next step is you immediately begin to doubt your salvation. But when I had that revelation of God's love and of his absolute acceptance of me, irrespective of how I felt, irrespective of even some of the things that I was doing uh, or, or, or thinking or speaking, all of that went and something dramatic happened. One of the things that happened was I really got convinced that I was eternally secure. Another thing that happened is fear got broken off of my life. Fear of death, fear of sickness. And the big one that nearly everyone struggles with is the fear of man, the fear of people. The fear of friendships, the fear of conversations, the fear of intimacy, the fear of allowing people to get close because you're always worried about if they find out what I'm really like, I'm finished. And it's that nagging thought that sits in the back of our mind that causes us to sometimes keep God at arm's length. We have this deep desire that we want to get so close, that we really want it, because there's something in us that wants to get close to God. And yet there's a fear that if he finds out about me, then I'm finished. And that causes us to doubt where we sit with salvation. And so from that moment on, when I had that encounter with the love of God, I've been on a quest to search the scriptures and find everything that I can and pull it out and draw it out so that I can help other people get free from those kinds of bondages. And that's been almost a lifelong quest to do because uh, I want to see people set free. You know, I, was asked, I, I get asked this a, a number of times, you know, what do you really want to do? What do you feel God's called you to do? 
And my answer always is the same. It's not to be a full preacher. That's not what it is at all. Be a minister of the gospel. Be a pastor. No, my full-time calling is to see people set free. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's a lot of bound up Christians. They're saved, but they're bound up. They're not free. They're not living in the freedom that Jesus came to give us. You know, and Paul says in Galatians 5, he says it was for freedom that Christ came to set us free. And then he says this, stand firm. What's he, what does he mean? When he says stand firm, what does he mean? He says stand firm in truth. Because it's that truth that will not just set you free, it'll keep you free. And so that's why I want to, that's why I so many times circle around to these great truths because it not only sets us free once, it keeps us free. And if you forget those truths, if you, if you allow those truths to be robbed from you because of lies that come from a demonic source and from religious spirits, you know some people can be driven by religious spirits. And it can sound all nice and flowery and, you know, impressive, some of the things that they say. But I want to tell you, there is something behind it that is bringing bondage on people. And I hate it. Jesus hated it. And so my quest is always, I want to see people set free from whatever it is that's binding them. And so that's part of the reason why we're doing this series on the good news of the gospel. And so we looked at, we started looking at some things, nine things that we've been, that I've got to give you. So we've looked at a few, um, is this going to work for me, Seth? Doesn't look like it. Doesn't, can you do it? Just put the next one up for me. We've been brought into God's family. You're not an orphan. (laughs) you're in the family of God. You're not in... Listen, that doesn't mean you've been brought into some decrepit, broken-down, messy church. It means you've been brought into His family. Amen? Don't restrict it to thinking, oh, now I'm a member of a church somewhere. It's far more than that. You are in the family of God. You're a son, you're a daughter of God. Jesus is your brother. He's our Lord, he's our king, but he's our brother as well. Next one. You've been forgiven how much? All your sin. Not partial, all. Not just the sin that you've managed to remember that you can confess, but all your sin. Fact, that's good. that is such good news. I haven't got time to go back over it. I would love to, because this is one of my pet favourite subjects. You are made righteous and holy. Luke mentioned that this morning. One of the things that, that, 
that we absolutely believe but don't want to become arrogant about stating is this. And this is the thing that we all, have, we all struggle with the truth of this statement. But it's this. You are just as righteous and just as holy as Jesus. Well, Tony, you're an idiot. How can you say that? I can say that because that's what God says. I can say that because that's what God says. Let me ask you this. Well, who was it? Was it Lucian? Luke? Luke or Lucian? One of, you, one of you two this morning talked about that picture of heaven. Might have been Luke. Lucian? One of you. You can both take credit. That was Robin. That <laughs> <laughs> <It> was Bridget. <laughs> Of, of, of holiness. Is there anything unholy in heaven? What does holiness mean? To be holy means you are incorruptible. Incorruptible. There's nothing that is incorruptible that has been tainted by corruption in heaven. Ephesians 2, verse 8, uh, verse 6, I think it is, 4, 4 to 6, talks about the fact that you and I are seated where? In heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. How can God allow that to happen if you are unholy? Not talking about sinless perfection. We all sin. But from God's eyes, from his perspective, he looks at us because we are in Christ. And he says, you are as holy and as righteous as Jesus. You see, folks, this is the kind of truth that sets people free. And yet this is the kind of truth that cops so much opposition, not from outside, but from within the church. Because we can't cope with that kind of truth. Why? Because there's this little thing in us called pride that wants to rise up and impress God with our own righteousness so that we can have a part to play in making ourselves righteous. And that stinking little thing there has to die. And you know what kills it off? The truth about what Jesus has done for us and in us so that you don't have to keep battling to try and raise this thing up to impress God because Jesus is living in you. 
I've received him and he has made me 100% holy and righteous. So why in the blue blazes would I even try to impress God with anything that I can do to make myself more holy? Hello? And somewhere this morning I've got to go back to my notes. <laughs> Otherwise this series is going to go on forever. I actually, I love, pre I don't like using my notes. Because then the Holy Spirit can say what he wants to say. But I've got to get through this series. So you've been made righteous and holy. We've been given the gift of eternal life. We've been given the gift of eternal life. It's not eternal one day and then not non-eternal the next day. Eternal means eternal. Right? John 3, go back. Sorry, just stay on that one. We're probably not going to get beyond this one today. <laughs> it's your fault. What? I don't know. It just is. Oh, okay. <laughs> John 3.16, we all know that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Eternal means eternal. 1 John 5 verse 10 says, Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, he who has the Son has life. When did eternal life begin? The day you received Jesus. So when your physical body gives up, when this thing ends up dying, that's not the end of life. That's the beginning of a whole new adventure. <laughs> Amen? Amen? So you got eternal life the day you got saved. And nothing can take that away from you. Did you earn it? No. How did it come? As a gift. As a gift. You received it as a gift. Do you know that you can be given a gift and never actually take advantage of it and use it? If you've received Jesus, you've received the gift of eternal life. You know, last year, uh, well, actually for over a, maybe just about a 13, over a 13-month period, Robin and I and some of you lost some very dear friends. They passed away. In fact, for, for Robin and I, in terms of family and friends, we lost... We lost 12 people in 13 months. Died. And, and there's a natural grief that you have. I mean, that, that affects you. You know, especially when, the, when it's family and, it, and it's long-term friends. Some of those friends we've had for 40, 50 years. But at the same time, there was just this inner sense of peace 
because for the majority of those people, I know where they are. And while they're not on this planet, they're alive. Amen? They've just transitioned into some, and I'm going to see them again. And so there's, there's this inner peace that you can have despite the earthly sorrow that we can feel and the emotions that we feel. There's this inner peace because, man, I'm going to see them again because of the promise of eternal life that is a gift that was given. That's the greatest gift you can receive. Amen? John goes on to say, the, the next verse, I, I don't have it up there, but the next verse he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You may know, not just have some information, not just have a fact, that you may know, that word know actually means to be fully persuaded of. You can be a believer in Jesus. You can have received his forgiveness. You can be a Christian. And yet you can go through life not knowing in the biblical sense, not being fully convinced that you have eternal life. Now why? It's because of all those things I said before. If you're not fully convinced of the good news of the gospel, you end up living this up and down Christian life. You're still saved, but you're not living in the freedom of it because you're not fully convinced of truth. And I want everyone in this room to be fully convinced of truth, of the good news of the gospel. Amen? Now, some people doubt whether they really have eternal life. But I want to tell you, God's promises are true. He does not and he cannot lie. Eternal life is not based on our goodness. It's not based on our sense of holiness. It's not based on our performance. It's not based on, on even what we think as, of, of, uh, as being fruitful. You know, I've got to be a fruitful Christian. Well, folk, you receive one of the greatest fruits you can ever receive, and that's the righteousness of Jesus. You're already fruitful. <laughs> You've received his love. And all of the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, they all come out of the fruit of love. And it's not you trying to love it's you learning how to receive love. It's a gift. Every fruit starts as a gift. I'll say that again. Every fruit starts as a gift. And you can spend so much of your life trying to perform, trying to, trying to produce a fruit, but if you've never received the gift you'll never produce the fruit. Does that make sense? Don't ever doubt God's promises to you. No matter what the devil tries to bring along as a lie, no matter what religious expectation that you've been fed 
trust in his promises. Knowing truth sets us free. Not being fully convinced of something doesn't change the truth. Not being fully convinced of God's love for you doesn't change the fact that God loves you 100% perfectly. Not being fully convinced whether you have eternal life or not doesn't change the fact that God's promise to you is you have eternal life. You not being fully convinced doesn't change the promise. It simply changes your level of confidence to live in that promise. Where does, how, do you, how do you develop confidence? Well, in the natural, you develop confidence by doing things, right? I don't know how to kick a football. And then you learn and you practice and you get confidence in being able to kick a footy, right? How do you gain confidence in the spirit? How do you gain confidence with the promises of God? You make a decision to believe them. I'm not, I, I don't think any of us, um, well, gee, how can I say this? Actually, we can. I was going to say, you can't practice um, getting confident in eternal life because you're never really going to know what it's really like until you depart this earth. But actually, you can grow in confidence in eternal life now because you have it now. How do, you, how do you grow in confidence in the eternal life that you have now? You don't live fearful of death. Hmm? It was just God confirming what I was saying. <laughs> well, let, let me just give you a couple more scriptures and then... I don't have these up on there, Seth, so I'll just read these. You can take a note of these. Um, and then I think I've probably said enough for today. So just listen to these. John 5, verse 24. says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has passed over from death to life. Who's heard the word of God? Who's heard the gospel? Who's responded to it and simply said yes to Jesus? Then what is the promise of God to you? You have eternal life. Now you can argue with back and forth about that if you want. I don't care. That just means that you're not going to live in the freedom that this offers. Because this is the word of God that is true and this is the promise of God. And if you've received Jesus, there is an ironclad guarantee you have eternal life. John 10 verse 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. You are safe and secure. Isn't that good news? Romans 8.1 says, There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, that is eternal life, has set me free from the law of sin and death. So death no longer has a hold of me. Sin no longer has a hold of me. Why? We looked at that verse earlier on, right? Sin has been actually cut out of you, Colossians 2 verse 11 says. That old sin nature has been circumcised out of you. So sin is no longer in you, it's outside of you. It's trying to get back in, but it doesn't have a hold on you. So I've been set free from the law of sin and the law of death, and I have eternal life, and there's no condemnation that can come against me at all. Romans 11, verse 29, I think it is, says that the gifts of God are irrevocable. God never takes them back. And so once he's given you the gift of his righteousness, you are forever righteous. Once he has given you the gift of eternal life, you are eternal forever. Romans 8, I think it's around verse 37, somewhere around there, talks about... um, Who can bring an accusation against you? It's a rhetorical question. Who can bring an accusation against you? The answer? No one. The devil can try. People can try. But what Paul's saying there is no one can bring an accusation that can stick. No one. That's the answer. If God before us Who can be against us? And what can separate you from the love of God? Nothing. It goes on to life, nor death, nor angels, nor this and that and the other thing. You know what it says? It says, not even any other creature. You are another creature. You can't even separate yourself from God now. Once you are in Christ, that's it. Safe and secure in his hand. Amen. Hebrews 7, verse 25, says this, Therefore he is able to save completely. Some translations uh, say utterly, completely, totally, 100%. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for us. You know, sometimes you feel so weak and worn out, you can't even raise a breath to even pray for yourself sometimes. Has it ever felt like that? (laughs) I have. Guess what happens? Guess what happens? Well, Jesus is always praying for you. He's always representing you. He's always interceding. For you. Oh, he must take a break somewhere along the line. 
Well, remember, he's, he, he, he's in a glorified body. He doesn't need to sleep. The Bible actually says God neither sleeps nor slumbers. He's able to do, he, to do anything 24-7 and never get tired. Jesus is constantly representing us before the, God, before the Father. In fact, somewhere else, I think it's in Hebrews, it says, you know, there are times where we feel like even our own faith fails. Is it in Hebrews, Luke? You don't know. Dave, Dave will know. Where there are times when we think our own faith fails, his faith is there for us. Isn't that good? So we're in the family of God. We are forgiven all of our sins. We've been cleansed of all unrighteousness and made 100% perfect and holy, just like Jesus. What else is there? What were the other ones? Oh, is this all we're up to? Number four. Jeez, man. We're never going to get through nine. We've been given the incredible gift of eternal life that you can never lose. You can never lose. Irrespective of how you feel, irrespective of all the religious junk and expectations that sometimes gets put on you, you've got to cast all of those things aside, all of them aside. Stop trying to perform Stop trying to impress God. Stop trying to judge your own life. You know, you're, you're only... T- Paul, Paul, says, Paul says this in, in Corinthians. Um, and he's talking about when we're around the communion table, a verse that has been terribly used to bash Christians. Terribly used. People grow up with this fear that if I take communion and I'm not right 100%, if I haven't dealt with every sin, well, God's going to get me. I'm condemning myself. Terrible way to actually interpret that scripture. Got nothing to do with it. Paul says this. He says, examine yourself to see if you're in Christ. It's not examining sin. It's examining, am I in Christ? In other words, hey, there's guys in this meeting who aren't yet saved. We want everyone to be saved. Around this table, you can actually come and partake of Jesus and get saved. I wish we had communion here this morning. Examine yourself to see if you are in Christ. Well, my Bible tells me that that the day I ask Jesus into my life, I am in Christ. And I can have days where I doubt that. I can have days where I don't feel that. It doesn't matter because it does not diminish the truth of what God declares. Amen? Rejoice. We have eternal life. Amen? And if you've never asked Jesus into your life, then do it today. I'm pretty sure everyone has. But do it. It's as simple as I confess Jesus with my mouth. I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. He is the Son of God and he came to give his life for me and I receive you now as my Lord and Saviour. And the moment you do that, you receive his righteousness, you receive his eternal life. You receive his life. Amen? Amen. It's good. Lucian, let's go.
Let's do some. Isn't the good news of the gospel actually good news? It is really. As I said last week, it is the too good to be true good news. Because <laughs> that's exactly what it is. It's too good to be true. And that's why people attacked Paul. That's why they kept attacking him all the time. Now, what you're saying is too good to be true. This can't be true. Well, it is true. Amen? Our job, not just mine, our job is to bring freedom to people and to keep them free. So stay free. Amen? Bless you guys. All right, let's do something.